All right, hey guys and gals, let's, uh, let's draw our attention to God's Word one another time here. Noah, uh, you've got lots of energy still coursing through your veins, and you've had an incredible day, I hope, and pray today, and uh, it's, there's still more incredible stuff to go, and we get to look at God's Word again, and tonight, I told you we're looking at two passages this week. One of them, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And tonight we get to enter into the other one for a little bit too as we continue to talk about what are some of the incredible things that are ours because of the cross. And so the passage we'll look at tonight is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If you think you can find that in your Bible in a timely fashion, that would be super swell. Uh, And if you doubt your abilities to get there in a timely fashion, that's totally cool too. You can follow along on the screen as we consider what God's Word says. Uh, Incidentally, the guy who wrote Galatians, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, also wrote this book, Colossians, as a letter to the church at a place called Colossae, also inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so this too is the Word of God. And let's hear now what it says Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is God's word. I'm going to pray and ask for his help now, and then we're going to dive in, okay? Lord, thank you so much for these truths. Thank you so much that you loved us, that you sent your own son to die and rise again on our behalf. Jesus, thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. We love you. We want to live for you. And so help us now to understand what your Bible, what your scriptures teach, so that we can live for you, so that we can know these things truly, and we can live the life you call us to and enter into your joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, guys, uh, tonight we're going to look at two pictures, two images in the Bible that uh, are true of you and me because of the cross. If you've put your faith in Jesus, two images, and we've already sung about these tonight. And so if you were paying attention during our singing, during worship time, um, you, we're all, it was incredible. We're already primed to think about these. One of these images is the image of resurrection. Resurrection means something's dead and it comes back to life, right? That's what we mean by a resurrection. Something that is dead comes back to life. And the other picture that we're going to see in the Bible is one of being born again, being reborn uh, to a new life. Uh, We know everyone's born once physically, but we're going to see what Jesus talked about in just a sec. He talked about uh, being born a second time. And that's uh, what's ours because of the cross is a resurrection and a rebirth. And, uh, And this image of resurrection and rebirth comes out of our passage in Colossians tonight. Right, It says in chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to look at this passage some more in in future nights too, or future um, chapels, so we're not going to cover this whole thing tonight. But just look at the first phrase of Colossians 3, 1. Okay, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. 
All right? And we're going to talk about seek the things that are above in a future chapel. Tonight, just, look, just think about this phrase. This is, uh, this is a mind-blowing, jaw-dropping, uh, soul-rending kind of phrase. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So have you been raised with Christ? What does that even mean? Well, that's what we need to flesh out here. Notice that it says, if then you have been raised with Christ. That means that this isn't just automatic, right? There's the if makes it conditional, which means this may or may not be true of somebody. It may or may not be true of you. If then you have been raised with Christ. So in other words, if this is true of you, then seek the things that are above. So notice that it's not automatic. It's not a matter of everybody just automatically being in and raised with Christ. It's not just that everybody's okay, everybody's cool with God. No, it's only one way or the other. Either you have been raised with Christ or you're not raised with Christ. Well, and what does that mean, to be raised with Christ? Well, raised, we confess as followers of Jesus that he died on a cross, but that he didn't stay dead, that on the third day he rose from the grave by the power of God the Father, right? We that's what Christians believe about Jesus that is true of him, that he didn't just only die on a cross for our sins as an atoning sacrifice, as a, a redemption for us, but that he rose again from the dead. He didn't stay dead, but he rose and now even lives today and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so to be raised with Christ means in some sense then, followers of Jesus, those who put their faith in Jesus, have been resurrected with him in a, in the sense of there once was darkness and now there is a coming to life. Jesus died on a cross for sinners and came back to life. He was raised where once there was no physical life, now there is. And but for us, we know that well we're alive physically already, so we know it, it's not referring to uh, a resurrection from the physical from physical death here, but it must be referring to a uh, to have a new spiritual life. That's, I think, the blank in your, in your chapel notes if you're following along. To be raised with Christ means when you put your faith in Jesus, who died on a cross and rose again for your, for your sins and justification, it means that God grants you a new spiritual life, whereas before there was once only death. And we just sang this. Uh, how, how did the song go? Right, you, I, I was in my tomb and you called my name and I ran out of that grave. Right Now, none of you have physically run out of your grave yet. That's coming. But if you've put your faith in Jesus, there's a sense in which then you have a new spiritual life that is because of Jesus' resurrection. And so we talked, you know, in the last two chapels, we said we have this problem of being unredeemed, but because of the cross, Jesus redeems us from our sins, from our, our spiritual deadness. And now uh, there's a picture of not only being redeemed, but being raised to a new life with Christ. The fundamental problem is that we all have a spiritual deadness because of our sin. Apart from Jesus, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, guys and gals, you have a spiritual deadness. You know, Everybody is born, the Bible says, with a nature that is stained and tarnished by sin. And that we love to follow that nature and it makes us rebels against God. And we have that sin standing in direct um, directly in the way of our having acceptance and peace with God because God is perfectly just. 
And like we talked about when we talked about what it means to be unredeemed, we know and saw that uh, that God in his perfect righteousness and holiness simply can't tolerate uh, anything that isn't righteous and holy. Um, Isaiah 33.4 says, uh, Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? This is likening God and his holiness to a burning, consuming fire. Who among us can dwell with consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? It's describing the Lord and his righteous purity. And of course the answer is, well, none of us can stand on our own. We're unredeemed and spiritually dead. Something has to happen for us to stand in his presence. And we talked about in the last couple chapels, how uh, God has a law. He's given us what he requires of human beings, uh, a law to keep and obey uh, that we find in the Bible, but none of us have obeyed that law perfectly, and so we stand guilty before him unless something changes on our behalf. And so we have this spiritual death. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, there's a spiritual death that we just can't overcome on our own because dead people just don't do anything. They can't do anything. They can't will themselves back to life. They can't walk around and talk and convince everybody that they're really alive. And so, guys and gals, in order for you and for me to be saved from our sin and to have friendship with God, we have to be raised with Christ. We have to undergo uh, spiritual resurrection. Paul says something about that. In, uh, if you flip back one page to Colossians chapter 2, if you've still got your Bible open, look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. This is going to say what Jesus did because of the cross. It says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that means because of your sin, you had no spiritual life, you were dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so in other words, because of the cross, Jesus, uh, when you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, Jesus makes you spiritually alive to God. Where before there was once only death and darkness and, and uh, spiritual decay, now there's a new life and a resurrection life, uh, a new spiritual life that didn't exist before because of what Jesus has done on the cross and because of his resurrection. And now you and I both know that you can kind of fake it. Right? You can kind of fake having true spiritual life. It's weird. It doesn't seem like you should be able to but if you've grown up in the church, or if you've grown up thinking about Jesus your whole life, or maybe your mom and your dad are, it seem like they're really faithful Christians, they trust the Lord and they seek to follow Him and they have raised you to know and love the Lord too, you can actually kind of fake this. You can hang out with Christians. You can go to church Sunday, Wednesday, maybe two times on Sunday, uh, maybe other days. You can seem to take an interest in spiritual things. You can go to camp. You can even pray and offer your prayers to the Lord. You can sing songs of worship. And all the while, still be spiritually dead as a doornail. And I would venture to guess that some of you are maybe in this very condition tonight. And when you get a bit older... When you advance a bit further through your life, maybe at some point your spiritual deadness will become really evident. 
Maybe you'll get to college and you'll encounter some intelligent, charismatic, articulate college professor who has some really compelling arguments against Christ and the Bible. And it'll seem to make sense and you'll accept it. And Christianity, following Jesus, that'll just be a thing that you did when you were a kid. Or maybe one day you'll meet a gorgeous girl or a super cute guy and they're not really interested in anything to do with Jesus. And it becomes really plain that if you're going to have a relationship going into the future, it's not going to work for you to have a relationship with Jesus either. And at that point, maybe that'll win out and your relationship to Christ will maybe no longer have any importance to you. Or maybe the icons of culture, right? The guys on TV and gals on TV, late night talk show hosts, popular bands and musicians, popular sports figures, they will, uh, you know, as you go through life, they'll insult and berate and joke about those who really believe the Bible and actually believe in Christ as backwards, unenlightened, hateful, and that'll seem true to you and you just won't have the energy or the interest to fake it anymore. And if that's you, guys and gals, if you're just faking it, I've got to warn you, the Bible says you'll die and you won't meet God as a loving father, but as an angry judge. Because something has to happen in your life. A spiritual resurrection has to happen. You have to come alive to God and genuinely in your heart confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord and live for the glory of God. A new spiritual life has to be there. And that's if you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus. You trust Jesus as your Savior. You believe His message of love and salvation. You accept what He did on the cross and His resurrection. And you say, you cry out to the Lord, God, I have nothing to offer you of myself. I can only cling to Jesus. Would you please save me? Would you please make me your son or daughter? Would you please accept me and forgive me and welcome me into your kingdom? And God always answers yes to that. He loves to answer that prayer. He loves to welcome those who know their spiritual state and those who cry out for Jesus, cry out to Jesus for salvation. He loves to answer that. He will answer that for you. I promise. I guarantee it with all my heart and everything, every, almost every word of the scriptures is about that promise of God to you that he will accept, embrace, and welcome you in forgiveness and love if you will but repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, and he will work a spiritual resurrection, a coming to life in your heart. I pray that that happens for you. Another biblical image of the same thing. I said we're going to talk about two pictures, right? One is resurrection. The other one is being born again, right? And the other biblical image is really, really similar to this, but it's that of being born again or being born of the Spirit. And for this, I want to uh, draw your attention to another Bible passage, John chapter 3, verses 1 through uh, 8. Here Jesus himself, this is in the Gospel of John, and we know the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. A gospel just means the good news. And this, so the first four books, especially of the New Testament, are dedicated to relaying the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we get lots of uh, what Jesus did and taught in those books. And it says in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, there was a man of the Pharisees. Those are the religious authorities of the day. Um, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so here comes this guy, Nicodemus, a guy who presumably knows a lot about God, and he knows a lot about God in his word. He knows a lot about the Old Testament. He knows a lot about what God wants, he thinks. And he recognizes in Jesus something special. He recognizes there's something different about Jesus, and he wants to know more about that. And so he comes and says, look, man, um, you know, you teach others about God. It seems like you've got some spiritual power. You know, what's, what's the deal? And Jesus says to him, you're not even going to enter God's kingdom because you've only been born of the flesh like everybody else. You're alive physically. And that's the only birth Nicodemus understands. He says, and Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is all perplexed. He's like, um, okay, I was born once. I came out of my mother's womb. It was really traumatic for her. Uh, in fact, every person that's been born has come out of their mother's womb or come out via C-section or something. And it's, it's, it's really memorable. And that's how every one of us got here, right? Is we were born of, of our mom. And Jesus, you're not talking about climbing, you know, going back in to the womb and getting born again, like thrust out again. That plainly doesn't make any sense. And Jesus is like, yeah, that, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> because Nicodemus is still kind of in this earthly mindset. He's still not picking up what Jesus is laying down. And so Jesus explains further. And truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, and that probably is, just means the exact same thing as being born again, being born of water probably refers to the cleansing work of God in one's life, cleansing one from sin. And being born of the Spirit means God's Holy Spirit gives you a new spiritual life. Truly, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Like, that's just physical, he says. But that which is born of the Spirit, namely God's Holy Spirit, has, is spirit. It has true spiritual life. And so don't marvel that I told you that you have to be born again. You ought to, you ought to understand this, Nicodemus. There needs to be some spiritual life in you from, as a gift from God for you to enter the kingdom. And how does this actually happen? How can you and I be born again? Because there's nothing more important than this question. How can this happen for you or for me? Well, guys and gals, I'll tell you how it doesn't happen first. Believing that God exists is not enough. Right? James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. And shudder. Right? Simply believing that God exists, no, that's good, but it's frankly pretty obvious. Right? And, and so merely believing in the existence of God is a fine and dandy thing, 
But the Bible also says that that's actually pretty obvious and everybody's responsible to that. He says in the book of Romans, chapter 1, uh, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In other words, God expects that everyone already acknowledges that he exists and that he's worthy of worship and that he's God. But the problem is that nobody gives him the respect he's due. Nobody offers him the worship of their whole life and heart that he's due as the creator of the universe. And so they're all accountable to that, but everyone's guilty before it. So if you think you're being really holy and pleasing God simply because you believe God exists, let me tell you, that's not really such a radical thing. That's a normal thing. That's embedded in the very way God has made the world. Family history and tradition are not enough to have a new spiritual life, to be born again. In Luke chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus told some guys who were banking on their family history. They were banking on them being the sons of Abraham being relatives of Abraham, you know, long descended from him, and for their, in order for them to be born again. And he says to them, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. <laughs> in other words, it doesn't really matter what your family lineage and history is uh, in, in order to be uh, born again. Just because your mom and dad are Christians, just because your grandpappy was a Christian, your great-grandpappy was a minister, that doesn't mean squat in terms of coming to spiritual life. Lots of us might say, oh, I'm Lutheran, I'm Baptist, I'm Catholic. Well, fine and dandy. That might have some advantages or disadva- disadvantages in your life, but friend, that doesn't make you alive to God. And we've talked about this already, but I'll say it again. Just being a generally nice, good person is not enough. And you might say, oh, Ryan, uh, let's not go all cuckoo bananas here about this. I don't need to be a fanatic, right? I can just be a normal, regular, average Joe with good morals, decent character. God will accept me. If I don't cheat, I pay my taxes, I'm a pretty good sport, I'm involved in my church, I work hard at my school and my job, I have friends who I'm loyal to, I have a bright future, I'm part of my generation finding our voice and making a difference, right? But here's the thing, guys and gals, the Bible says no matter how good you are, you don't meet the standard of a holy God. Something has to happen in order for you to have a new spiritual life, in order for you to come to a spiritual resurrection from the dead, in order for you to be alive to God. And that's something that has to happen is Jesus. Jesus met all the standards of, of obedience to God. Jesus kept God's law perfectly. Jesus obeyed God in everything. Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for sins. And Jesus rose again and defeated sin and death. And now in His unbelievable love, and mercy, and patience, and compassion for every one of you. He now calls out to you through his word and says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Will you receive Jesus? Will you put your faith in Jesus and bank on him and trust in him to be saved and not on your family tradition and not on being a nice, good person and not on believing that God exists? Though Those are important things.
To be saved, to have a relationship with God, means that we must be raised with Christ. We must be born again. Nothing less than a spiritual resurrection has to happen in your life and in my life. And I hope at this point, uh, if you're not already tracking with this, I hope you're saying, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> if none of those things are enough, what is it? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus is enough. And Jesus loves you. And Jesus calls to you now to re- receive his good news and turn away from your old self that loves yourself and loves sin and loves all those things that belong to spiritual darkness. And he calls you to put your faith in him and trust in him and enter into the love and joy of your master, of the Lord. Jesus said in Mark 1.15 when he came in, when he first started his public ministry, did you know Jesus didn't start actually preaching until he was about age 30 probably? He like lived a lot of life before he even started traveling around the, 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 Israel teaching and preaching about the kingdom. And one of the first things he said, this is recorded for us in Mark 1.15, one of the first things he said when he started preaching to people was, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, and so that's what um, our call, my call to you tonight is too. And I want us to go back to John 3. Listen to how, John, how Jesus continues with Nicodemus. What he tells him uh, is true about God and how a person can be born again. Um, I'm picking it up in John 3.14. It says, Just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That means crucified. So that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So there it is. Nicodemus, you want to know how to be born again? Young man or young woman tonight, do you want to be know, know how, to be, how to be born again? The answer is, whoever believes in Jesus may have eternal life. And it goes on in these famous and familiar but unbelievably powerful words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So Jesus explains plainly to Nicodemus and to you and to me. He says, um, it's not just believing that Jesus is real. It's not just believing Jesus did some great stuff and approving of it. It means believing that you're lost without him that your only hope is to throw yourself on him completely and bank entirely on him to be saved. It means agreeing with God that sin and your spiritual deadness is wrong, it's bad, and turning away from that in order to cry out to Jesus in faith and to say, save me. Jesus, save me. I have no hope in myself. I have no hope in my works. I have no hope in the world. Jesus, you alone can save me. So I trust in you. And I pray, it's the prayer of all my heart, I know it's the prayer of all your counselors and all the staff here, that that would be true for you. That you would recognize how desperately you need this if you don't have this already. That you need to be born again. And that you would be born again, maybe even tonight. There's no reason why it couldn't happen tonight for you. If on your own or with your counselor or with me or anybody, you pray to the Lord and ask him, Jesus, uh, ask him to save you and say, Jesus, I trust you in your death and resurrection. Would you please save me? So guys and gals, resurrection, new birth, these things can be yours at no cost, at no price. There's no catch. 
There's no like twist at the end where, ah, gotcha, actually now, you know, uh, it's going to demand all this. It's just a free gift. It's a free gift of God offered to you in love and good faith. God promises to all that, that all who come to Him uh, with faith in Jesus, He will save and welcome and embrace forever and they will enjoy um, His presence forever. And so I pray that you will receive that uh, if you haven't already. I'm going to pray for you now. Lord, I ask uh, for your blessing on these uh, guys and gals. Would you truly bless them, Lord? Would you bless them tonight and the rest of their activities as they um, play games with their cabin, with their friends, as they enjoy fellowship together, as they have cabin devos, as they um, talk amongst themselves, Lord, as we do all the things that we do, would you truly um, bless them to know you, to see clearly who you are, what you've done on their behalf. Let them see your loving heart, your compassion, your tenderness, your patience with them. May that be the most compelling, delightful thing in the whole universe to them and to me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.